Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, herbalism, and more. I'm Shannon. And I'm Nick, and we are your co-hosts. This week, I am talking about the Krampus, the legendary alpine punisher of naughty children. And, you know, it's uh, almost Yule time, so what better time to talk about Krampus? And then... As a fun departure from more serious deity coverage, I'm talking about the legend of Jack Frost. So uh, Merry Christmas, everyone. Mm, I love it. You guys can see my black tree with the purple lights here in the background. Um, I'm going to be talking about something, though, speaking of trees, that is like pretty ubiquitous in most of the Northern Hemisphere (laughs) this time of year. But it's actually not really, uh, it really doesn't go much of the Southern Hemisphere. They've tried it in a few places, but of course, the pine. If you're gonna be talking about a tree in the winter, you're talking about pine. And I just wanna like apologize up front. I have a bit of a chest congestion issue, so I have cough drops in. So I'm gonna try and like mute it, but I know sometimes mouth noises are bothersome for people. So I'm gonna do my best, but just like fair warning. Um, Before we get started, Nick, I also thought, since I talk about herbalism all the time, it might be nice to kind of talk through sort of my uh, intensive herbalism regimen when I feel like I'm getting sick. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is such a great follow-up to our flu season episode. Yeah. Yeah. So for anyone who maybe doesn't know, um, I have allergic asthma, which is really tough, especially this time of year when the air is a little drier, but it also means that when my asthma is getting bad, it's really hard for me to tell if it's going to just be a cold or if it's my asthma or if I'm actually getting sick. So I tend to kind of go into preventative mode pretty intensely whenever my cough starts acting up. So to start this morning, I made elderberry syrup with some star anise, which we just Mm. talked about, as well as some cinnamon, which we're going to be talking about next week. And just a fair warning for anyone who decides to make your own elderberry syrup, it's much more cost effective. However, elderberries smell like socks when you're cooking them. So our entire house was smelling real sock-like. The anise, the star anise, and the cinnamon helps with that a little bit. So I had that. I also included some yarrow in my morning tea, which helps with like your chest, like opening up the airways, things like that. And then I have an OSHA root decoction that I've been boiling on and off all day. OSHA is like a really intense expectorant. So it helps like kind of dissolve all mucusy stuff within you. Um, And you'll notice I didn't mention slippery elm. And it's because when you have this much like nose drainage and things like that, you actually want to be careful with moistening herbs because your body is already in a really damp state. And sometimes that can actually really upset your stomach and things. So like for me, when I'm feeling really congested like this, if I drink slippery elm bark tea, it can really make me feel nauseated because it's just like too much, too much moisture. So you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. So anyway, so that's kind of my like immediate go-to is I usually do like yarrow in my tea, do some elderberry with some cinnamon and some star anise, osha root decoction, and lots and lots and lots of rest. Of course, in all my tea, I'm putting like raw honey, unfiltered raw honey. I do have natural like herbal cough drops that I use just to kind of like soothe my airways. Uh, and then at night, I get, there's um, many versions of like elderberry nighttime cough syrup. And that's one of the things I use. So anyway, that's my kind of like 
go-to, oh shit, am I getting sick or is this really bad allergies regimen that I'm in the middle of? And I think a lot of us could use that right now. I'm actually, I'm drinking some hot tea, some yep. hot tea with lemon. Yeah, uh, this is a this is a tea episode. You can see I've got stars <laughs> yeah. on the inside of my mug for people. Oh, that's so cute. Oh, I'm, I actually, I got this, um, this mug when I was oh, with Shannon. It's my, El- it's my Los Angeles mug. Um, I love that. Cheers. Love that. Cheers, a little hot tea. Uh, but yeah, this, tea. this cold front that's blown into Texas has got me right on the edge myself so yeah it's that time of year and I was telling Nick before we started this week is going to be interesting because my house is very full of plants and many of you know that my uh, cats like to eat plants but it's going to be getting into the 30s for a couple of nights so I've got to find room for my Hoyas somewhere inside um so I'll keep y'all posted that'll be interesting (laughs) but uh but yeah so let's I think we should dive in yeah, we let's should do it. it. So, so I, we we are kind. Of, we're, we're almost doing two deity profiles in this episode, but they're not really deities, but they're kind of like old old timey th- things that go along with Santa Claus. Yeah, they're like um, fun, like cultural characters. Fun cultural characters, and I do talk about it a little bit in the Jack Frost segment. But like Santa used to have like a whole posse of of related characters um so that's for, that's so much more cool though can i just say like that's way more cool than solo santa like, solo santa well it's like it's like now santa's got elves and reindeer is somehow where we landed with that whatever uh, petition to bring the santa posse back i'll let you I, I, th- I like it it's like a whole pantheon of like <laughs> yeah. festive winter characters that's so fun it, it is fun so well and this uh krampus mm, not so fun, but uh, so for, for everyone who doesn't know, uh, Krampus is the demonic counterpart to St. Nicholas. So in sort of the Germanic world and parts of Russia, they celebrate St. Nicholas Day on December 6th. So the night before St. Nicholas Day is Krampusnacht. Uh, and so Krampus uh, is not actually German necessarily it is from parts of europe where they speak german uh the alpine region which is really more centered around austria and some parts of switzerland now it does yeah. kind of bleed into germany um, yeah and the, the netherlands too right because eric my partner took dutch in undergrad and they talked about krampus yeah and, and yeah. so but but it originates in the Alpine, the Alpine areas. So it's not um so what we think of Germany is actually sort of like the low-lying areas for the most part. It's a lot of farmland. Um I mean, there's mountains and forests, of course, but really Switzerland and Austria, you know, it's got it's that kind of sound of music vibe. It's 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 uh Gruyere cheese, it's fondue. Um all the houses look like gingerbread houses. Oh my god, but Gruyere is my favorite grilled cheese cheese. It's I'm just I mean, gonna... it's, it's good. Yeah, fondue is great too. So we do we love we love the Alpine vibes. Uh very, very Christmassy. Uh, so I just, I just kind of wanted to make the distinction because I, I actually had asked my half German coworker about Krampus, and he was like, "That's not really like a German thing. It's like an Alpine thing. So it's more like a, like a Switzerland thing." Um, 
and they they are uh, they don't they do not like being uh, called German in Austria or Switzerland. Um, they are their own thing, even though they speak German. So, uh, but actually, so I had asked if he was aware of it or if he had gotten to celebrate, and he tells me this. And so apparently, even though they did not. Not, um, I did get the traditional sort of Krampus rundown because I have this other coworker who's like an 80s punk, uh, very cool guy called Eric. And he chimed in with like traditional, the traditional Krampus story, which I'm going to talk about a little later on. But my half German coworker uh, did bust out the name of this book that I think that is German. Uh, and I think does give a little bit of flavor and a little bit of context on why German speaking countries really have such dark stories relating to punishing naughty children. Uh, this is not just a seasonal thing. Um, so apparently, even though they didn't grow up with Krampus, they did have a book called Der Struhlpeter, which is all about the bad things that can happen to naughty children uh, and features a story about a character who sucks his thumb. And then uh, his parents are like, you suck your thumb too much. And then a tailor comes, like a, you know, a guy, a tailor, a guy who makes mm-hmm. suits, um, and cuts off his thumbs with very sharp scissors. Wow. Uh, wow. It's very like Saw for kids. It's very much like Saw for kids. There's also one where the kid, uh, the, the young, healthy lad, will not eat his soup. And uh, over the next five days, he wastes away and dies. So eat your soup, kids. Uh, so not exactly the uh, German folklore lesson I was hoping for, but <laughs> I, it is from the 1850s, and apparently a lot of families have this book, uh, and the illustrations are very spooky. So I don't know. Is this a plug for an almost 200-year-old book? Uh, maybe. I'd love to get some money from that. Uh, right? Yeah. I'm like, uh, if nothing else, I definitely want a copy of this because I'm sure there's a translated version and holy shit, that sounds like truly, those are the like bedtime stories that I'm going to have to read to my nephews and ruin their childhoods. Oh, absolutely. he said it's, it's, it's scarred for life material. Oh. Uh, and the illustrations are very spooky. I, I did send you that Wikipedia article, which kind of gives you like a little um, synopsis of each of those stories. So maybe we can post that with the Instagram for this oh, episode. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it does give you, I feel like a good flavor. It, it. It, it's it's good flavor and you know it's like the germans are all about punishing the naughty children so moving on uh, i think what i did gain from asking that question was uh, a sense that germans really do not like naughty children they i want, really i love that they they want their children to be behaved as, uh, as someone who found out this year that i'm like by blood basically a quarter German, which was kind of a new discovery for me. I'm like, maybe this is where it comes from. Yes, it's, uh, you have to, you have to behave or the man will come chop your thumbs off. (laughs) Uh, uh, But no, so we're talking about Krampus. So if you live in the Alpine regions, uh, you might be aware that St. Nicholas's Day is December 6th and we have Krampus knocked the night before. And that's when all the really fun Krampus related shenanigans happen. And um, it just struck me that you might be wondering who the fuck is Krampus because maybe you just really don't know. So, Krampus 
is a goat man. So he kind of looks like a spookier version of a fawn or like, you know, sometimes Pan is depicted with the with the furry goat legs and the the ram horns. And he's yeah. very spooky. It's very, like very, very spooky. Asking to be a raver girl costume. Oh, it really is. And I think I've, I mean, you know, I'm sure I've seen some almost Krampus costumes. I'm sure there is Krampus porn out there. Oh my God. I bet my life on it. (laughs) But yeah, so Krampus is like evil Mr. Tumnus, but on steroids because he will beat your ass if you were a naughty German child. And he actually, he has a bag like Santa. Um, And so this evil jacked sort of Mr. Tumnus guy comes to your house and unlike Saint Nick, Saint Nicholas, uh, who you can placate with milk and cookies, um, Krampus wants booze, okay? Schnapps to be specific, which is a strong fruit-based brandy, usually peppermint flavored. Um, That is the traditional schnapps to give uh, for Krampus knocked. Um, but schnapps can really be any flavor. That's one of the delightful things about schnapps. You could go cinnamon, wintergreen, which kind of tastes like mouthwash, but uh yeah. I love this. And I I know that Nick has this little note here about storm drain schnapps, which is like one of my favorite, like Nick and Shannon memories from when we were like 20. We had a snow day. Mm-hmm. In Austin, we had a snow day from work in Austin. Never happens, but it was like full on. Everything was like beautiful and snowy. And we had been doing this thing where we would make hot chocolate and put peppermint schnapps in it. And that um, and that vodka that we infused with uh what was it? With it was just pepper flakes, it, right? Crushed. No, no, no. It, it was it was espresso and red pepper flakes. Oh yeah, espresso and red pepper flakes infused vodka, peppermint schnapps, and hot chocolate. And then Ooh. we took it out while we went urban exploring into the uh, like the storm drains, and that was so much fun. And I feel like that is a perfect like Krampus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and sure. it was very, it was spooky, but also yeah. festive and Christmassy. Yeah, it was like spooky because you're in the storm drains and it's dark and we had the light candles. We did. But there was snow and ice everywhere. Mm-hmm. And we were getting boozy because it was the middle of the day and we were 20 and had nowhere to go. Yeah, it was it was a great time. And also, I, I uh, you know, we should drink schnapps next. Maybe we could. No, well, you're, you're not drinking at the moment, but. But I can make myself some peppermint. Some peppermint uh, tea, some really strong peppermint tea. We can make to have. some strong peppermint tea. We'll have a little schnapps when we do our live episode. Yeah, a little schnapps and an, an homage to schnapps, but in mm. tea form. I love that. Um, so Krampus comes to your house, uh, and usually it's someone in the village dressed as Krampus. Um, and if it is determined that you are a naughty child, which um, most children are, very naughty. Uh, then Krampus puts you in his bag and beats you with a birch stick. Aww, that's so, so sweet. Isn't that fun? Um, and that's even if you give him schnapps or not. You can't well, get out of you cannot get out of it with the schnapps. You have to give him schnapps regardless. But if you are naughty, into the sack. Into the sack you and go. Then, and then you just get beaten with a birch stick. You get turned into a little pinata treat. I love it because it feels like Krampus. Looks like Mr. Tumnus, but has drunk ant vibes. Yes. Uh, and 
I, I do think it's nice, like, you know, we, we've really watered down this, the, the, these kind of almost pagany Christmas celebrations, especially here in, in the States, you know, like we yeah. don't have any of the cool side stuff going on. And it's like, yeah, if you're bad, you get coal in your stocking. But who even does that? You know? No, no one. It's like only as a joke. You remember there was like that time when it was like really cool and there were all the like the coal shaped chocolates that came out mm, at the Yeah, holidays. they still do those. They, they still do those. Oh, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. I mean, I just, I don't buy things for children. Um, sure, sure, sure. So, uh, yeah, it's like that's way less intimidating than getting beaten with a birch stick in a sack. I also, I think Krampus is a, is like a way cooler way to get your kids to behave through the holidays than elf on a shelf. Oh my God. Yeah. It's like threaten them with Krampus. Violence. Like, let's not glorify the nanny state. We're talking about deities here. Yeah. The the nanny state, the elf on a shelf is literally just like, Hey, welcome to living in the like 21st century when you're constantly under surveillance, something about it being in your home is what makes yeah. it feel so gross to me. It's I, it's creepy. Yeah, because it's like with Krampus and even Santa Claus, it's like, yeah, I mean, they're a little creepy for like watching you, but they're like, they've got deity powers. So it doesn't yeah, yeah, feel yeah, like the yeah, state yeah. doing it. <laughs> it's like, it's it's like, they're not watching you, you know? It's like, they just have a list. They got a yeah. list. They just have uh, a list. They have a list. It's a magical list. They're not watching you. It's not creepy. The elf, the elf on the shelf is like fucking watching you. And it's yeah. spooky. And Krampus is way better. But also, I like that even if you give Krampus like the appropriate libation, he's going to beat your ass if you're a naughty child. Yeah, you can't buy your way out of it, which I you think is also a great buy your lesson. way out of it. Yes. Yeah. I think that I love, I love Krampus especially, but just like my little side note with like things like elf on a shelf and like even people that are told that santa's watching it's like can we not like allow children a little bit of privacy because they should fucking have privacy absolutely 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 kids be alone and not freak them out into thinking they're being constantly surveyed like they're already gonna feel like that if they live in america and Uh like are just around evangelicalism yeah um oh yeah because god is watching you God is always watching you. It's like, ugh. ugh. But I love I love Krampus. I just I love that he can't be bought. He can't if you he were can bad, not, you were bad. He cannot be bribed. Yeah. Krampus isn't here for your shit, man. He is gonna like do what he has to do. But but Krampus works with Santa. You know, this yeah. isn't like a separate thing. Okay. Like it's like the naughty and nice list. Like Krampus is the guy who deals with the naughty list. I like that. I like that. Cor- I mean, bring back corporal punishment from deities, not IRL. <laughs> Obviously, guys, we're joking. We're not like, don't beat your kids. But you could put them. Funny. You could put them in a bag. You could go up to the point of putting them in a in a potato sack. I think yeah. that would that would be hilarious. There have been times when with my like toddler nephews and niece that I'm like, if there was a big enough sack around, I totally would have put them in it. Put, and just slung them over my shoulder and carried them around for a bit until they stopped screaming. <laughs> we're gonna throw you. We're gonna throw you away. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh god, that's so funny. Sorry. Okay, anyway, but play, okay, but this. like, bring back playing mean, kind of mean jokes on kids. Like, obviously, don't hit your kids with a stick. But it's, yeah, it, it is kind of funny because they'll take it somewhat seriously if you were to put them in a potato sack and be like we're gonna we're gonna beat you like a pinata 
right? It's just like, well, now you are the pinata candy. This is what happens when you're naughty. See, see, <laughs> see? yeah. You'll think about that before you hit your sibling again. I right. mean, you'll still do it because you're a child and you have no impulse control and like your prefrontal cortex isn't fully myelinated and won't be until your mid twenties. But you know, a little bit of good old fashioned fear. It kind of makes me think. I saw this. It's one of those. It's like a dumb copy paste meme, but where the lady has like the full body. One, you know, like the green man, like the green man suit that covers your whole face, uh, like those old stretchy book covers. You know, it's like yeah. that. Yeah, the green screen suits that you can. Use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But mm-hmm. um, she's got one that's like leopard print, which and so uh, when her kids make a mess, she puts it on and like vacuums the house in it, and then her kids are terrified and they don't want the leopard lady to come back. Uh, oh my they, god they don't realize it's her and she's like well don't make a mess and the leopard lady won't come and uh they're That's scared wonderful i will have if i can find it i will post it on social media but there is a very funny and nick i'm sure you know which picture i'm talking about when i did dance as a small child there is a very funny of like 11 year old shannon wearing a full body leopard spotted like yeah suit for my jazz dance doing like Tiger hands. Ooh, tiger hands. Yeah. I know. I'm I if I can find it, I'll post a picture because it's just fucking funny. And I'm like, also, everyone needs to just post embarrassing photos of yourself that you get when you're back home with your families. Please, please. Oh my god, it's yeah, because so you fun. Know, you know your mom has them. Yeah, man. And it's like we were all embarrassing. Let's laugh you, at each other know, together. We, we will not put it on blast, but if you have any good ones, do send God, them. Please way. send them. And I will share mine. I will share mm, mine because yeah. I have no shame. I've obviously, I think to be podcasters, you have to be in that like no shame category. Oh, for <laughs> but, sure. For sure. But yeah, I'd love, I think if we're going to ask for anything this episode, I really, 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 really want to see your embarrassing childhood photos. Please, you can email those to wandsandfranzpod at gmail.com. Mm. Um, I think you can send picture messages now on Instagram, can you? Well, you, oh, you, you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's at wandsandfranzpod on Instagram. Uh, or, you know, if you're on our Patreon, which you can find by going to patreon.com slash wandsandfranzpod, you can post them on there. Maybe we should post some of our pictures there too for our patrons. Mm. Yes. And for as little as $5 a month, y'all, you get to like see videos of us. Like y'all could see my dope black Christmas tree with purple Christmas lights behind and my, me. And my my sort of elf inspired outfit. You know, I've got like a, a green beanie and a striped shirt on now. Nick is a hipster elf. I'm sitting just trying to huddle in anything that will keep me warm because it's in the 50s in Los Angeles. So we're all dying. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so I think Patreon, that's a really great way to get a little bit of extra attention from us. At certain levels, Nick also sends monthly taroscopes. I send like herbal grimoire pages. We're doing a coven meeting, like virtual coven gathering on December 23rd. So Christmas Eve, Eve, yes, which I think will be lots of fun. Um, so yeah, so I think that's a good little, that was our little intermission for doing the plugs. Oh, and there's still time to register for my January workshop, your 2022 Witch's Garden. And as a reminder, if you are a patron mm-hmm. and you sign up for that, you get a free 30-minute one-on-one after the workshop, which will be fun. And it's only $30. We're going to like build what an you inc- a garden What an plan. incredible value. Yeah, we're going to literally go through building out a garden plan for the entire year. So you're really not going to find anything that's like, 
that affordable. Um, so anyway, and there's more information about that on our Instagrams and on the Patreon, but that's that. I think those are the plugs. Those are the plugs. And, yeah. you know, speaking of gardening, I, I think the the plant we have for this week is probably not something that uh, you're going to be able to just grow overnight in your garden. So not this overnight. Is, this is kind of more of a more of a thing you might go foraging for. Yeah, yeah. Although I will talk a little bit about how to grow the tree from seed, which you mm. can do apparently. But you nuts. It's not. This is not. You know. It's it's like bringing home a puppy when they're like, this is a multi year commitment. It's like this could be a five thousand year commitment. You know, wow. You need to be ready. You need to be ready to take care of this tree for 5,000 years. <laughs> anyway, I'm really excited for your QWP though, Nick. I think this is a very, very important one. Um, mm. So maybe mm-hmm. we should hop in and do that first. So I feel that this actually deserves a little bit more of a deep dive than other QWPs. Uh, we yeah. you know, usually just do these in passing, something we've seen doing research that's just ridiculous. Uh, but this one affects me personally. It's near and dear to my heart. Uh, so I think it's not super duper cool to call out your witch friends for liking Christmas because A, it's none of your fucking business. Nope. B, being judgy is not the greatest look on anyone. Uh, and C, if you must inquire about my love of Christmas shit, I'll give you an answer. And it is very simple. Uh, in my family, some of whom I do honor as my ancestors, there are two branches. Uh, one that observes a strict form of Christianity where you cannot celebrate what they call secular Christmas. Um, and one that's still pretty conservative, but really rallies behind the Christmas season as the holiday. Yeah. So I actually have a dilemma at times, not the least of which is the strife between my religious community and the ones I was raised in. Uh, but it's Christmas hate, you know? Yeah. It's not fucking cool. Uh, not that it's anyone else's business, but I enjoy Christmas as it is, even though Jesus is not my personal Lord and Savior or whatever. Um, And on that note, the other branch of my family believes that Christmas should be a solemn religious holiday. So in a way, choosing the candy canes and the holly and the Charlie Brown ornaments is like taking a huge shit on Christmas to them, uh, which is just not very fun. Um, But long story short, why I like Christmas isn't any of your business so to hell with all of you if you've got anything to say about it and all hail charlie brown hail charlie brown no i think it's good and we'll we'll hop into pine after this i just wanted to like take a second and give that one a little bit of space because it's just so important like i think a lot of times people that are in like the witchy circle, whether they're practicing some sort of magic or they consider themselves witches. A lot of us are people that have historically been, you know, maybe not treated the best by people in the evangelical circles. But the thing is, the best response to that isn't to shit on people who enjoy those things. Like hurt people, hurt people, but also like, let people do what makes them happy if it's not harming other people. Like, I also hate this shit when people are like, oh, stop putting up your Christmas trees in November. It's like, nah, man, you know what? 
Personally, I'm a little bit sad at how much Christmas encroaches just because it means there is a very small window of time when you can get Halloween decorations and that blows. But like, also we're in crazy late stage capitalist hellscape. Like if a Christmas tree makes someone happy, let them fucking put it up in September. Like there are no rules. Just let people I, do what I, they want to do. I, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a shocking confession that people will probably hate almost as much as the fact that I do put up my Christmas tree the week before Thanksgiving every year. Uh, I like to have it up for Thanksgiving. So fuck you if you don't like that either. But um, I leave my Christmas tree up till Valentine's Day. I love that. I mean, see, I take my Christmas tree down like after New Year's every year and it's fine. It's like, that's our tradition in my family was we always put it up the day after Christmas or the day after Thanksgiving. That was like kind of our Black Friday thing that mm-hmm. we did when I was growing up. Um, it got up late this year because we, uh, excuse me, because we ordered a black tree, which I was really excited about. It's very um, cool. But yeah, I just, I don't know. I feel like this time of year does kind of like bring out the worst in some people and getting a little hateful. Because it's like, there are plenty of things that we can critique and have like very valid conversations about, but like shitting on people for enjoying stuff is like, not cool. Yeah, it doesn't make you look cool. It makes you look like a dick. It's honestly, it's like, we get it, you know? Yeah. A lot of the stuff that Christians use for Christmas is directly stolen from more ancient pagan traditions. Sure. And that's like, not super cool, but- but you know, you kind of sound like them when they're like, "Oh, don't take the Christ out of Christmas." Yeah. When when you're like shitting on your fellow witches who do like Christmas, so. Yeah. So just like be groovy to each other, guys. Like I am all for calling each other out when we're doing shit that's harmful and appropriative, and I think those are important conversations to have amongst ourselves. But just fucking be nice to people. Let them enjoy their candy canes and their fucking stockings and their Christmas trees in peace. So on that note, we are talking about winter decor. We're talking about wintertime pretty things. It's hard to imagine something that's like more ubiquitous for like both the decor side of things, but also for scents, right? Like I actually have a winterberry and pine hand soap sitting in my kitchen right now. And it's awesome for what it's worth. It smells great. But pine trees, These trees are native to the Northern Hemisphere, and most regions in the Northern Hemisphere have some native species of pine. And their environments range everywhere from like semi-arid deserts to rainforests. Like there's a lot of diversity here. Literally, you can find pine trees in some of the coldest and the hottest environments on the planet. Like these trees are so fucking dope. But what I find super fascinating um, and something that I think a lot of people not might not be aware of is that pine is really just any conifer that falls in the genus penis or pinus, which actually includes more than a penis. Penis. (laughs) Penis. It literally is like penis with an I is how it's spelled. Um, But it includes more than 120 species of trees that are confirmed as pine and nearly 40 species that are considered unconfirmed, but very well may eventually become like official pines as well. So the term pine tree is literally just like any tree in this genus. So it's kind of broad. But it's also used, like pine is also just used as a general term to refer to the lumber from these trees, since you're a lot more likely to find like pine boards at Home Depot than Great Basin bristle cone pine boards, you're going to see it listed as pine. So what makes a pine a pine? 
right? I think that's a good question. First of all, they're evergreen, which is one of the reasons they're so popular this time of year, right? A lot of trees are looking like skeletal. My little crepe myrtle looks so sad, uh, but pines continue to have these like gorgeous green needles. And the majority of the species are between 50 and 150 feet tall, with some of them getting as tall as 250 feet. And there are a few like shrubby buddies in here that are as small as 10 feet tall. They're really, really long trees that live between 100 and 1,000 years on average, but some even longer. So that great bristle, the great basin bristlecone pine that I mentioned earlier actually is one of the, there's one of the longest lived plants in that genus and it's in the White Mountains of California. They call the tree Methuselah, and it's almost 5,000 years old. And so it's one of those great basin bristlecone pines. And it's, I really, really want to go meet him because he's in California. Um, but 5,000 years, can you imagine? Like, Yeah, that's, that's, an, that's an old tree. It's a fucking old tree. And the really interesting thing about... Um, to me, I think one of the most interesting things about pine cones is the branches, the needles, and the cone scales themselves are often arranged in Fibonacci ratios. And so oh. Fibonacci numbers are fascinating. They're named after an Italian mathematician, Leonardo of Pisa, and he described them in his 1202 book, Libera Bacci. And they're related to the golden ratio. But when you see the Fibonacci spiral, you'll recognize it because it looks like a seashell. Like if you have a, if you have a rectangle, the spiral will start at a point in the bottom left corner, and then it'll swirl up towards the top right corner. And then it'll end up doing like a little shell spiral. And they're related to the golden ratio, which is something you'll also see thrown around. But these patterns appear all over the place in mathematics, but they also show up a lot in nature in things like the pine tree, the flowering of an artichoke, the un uncurling of a fern, seashells, or even like the leaves on a stem. There's literally an entire journal dedicated to the study of Fibonacci numbers called Fibonacci quarterly. And it's a very, wow. right. Where like, do you get a subscription for that? This is a really like magical math topic too, that I was thinking, I was like, we should do an episode later where one of us talks about Fibonacci spirals because they are everywhere in nature. And it's really, really fascinating. So on that note, though, the reason I wanted to talk about it for the branches as well is a lot of pine trees have really thick and scaly bark and the branches are produced in like a tight spiral that when you're looking at it straight on, it can almost look like it's all coming from like the same point on the tree, but it's actually a tight spiral that moves up and up the tree. And the pines are monoecious, so they have male and female cones on the same tree. The male cones are smaller and they usually only appear in the spring and the female cones actually take between one and three years to fully mature after pollination. And of course you can recognize the spiral scales on the cone and each of those fertile scales has two seeds and the seeds are mostly on most species in here are small and winged for wind dispersal. So they have these little like tufts of stuff that kind of look almost like feathery, like papery. And that's so when the, when the cones fully mature and everything opens up and the seeds are ripe, the wind blows through and carries them off. So the trees do grow best in acidic soils for the most part. Of course, most of them also require good drainage, although there are a few that can actually thrive in waterlogged uh, soil, like the lodgepole pine. 
And you can collect seeds from female pine cones if you want to get nutty and grow a tree from seed. This is a thing you can do. So of course you want to wait until the female cone is fully mature and you'll see it because, you know, pine cones will start to kind of open up like the female pine cones will open as they mature, mm -hmm. the scales kind of separate. And uh, each of these little scales is going to have two seeds on it. So to test the viability, you'll collect the seeds and put them in a container of water. The ones that float are the ones that you can toss because they're the least likely to germinate. And the ones that sink are the ones most likely to germinate. That's a pretty good rule of thumb for most seeds that aren't super light, like Begonia seeds are like dust. If you put it in water, all of them are going to float, but it's a good like seed test for a lot of stuff. And then you'll usually plant up the seed around January, put them in, you know, each seed in an individual pot with a well-draining potting mix, push the seed just below the surface, but make sure it's in a vertical position with the pointy end facing downward. And then you want to keep them moist and just wait. Literally, you might be waiting months but you should see germination by like April or so. And then once they're six to 12 inches tall, you can transplant them outdoors. Once they're really well-established, they require almost no care, which is awesome. So you don't really want to, you don't want to just kind of plant this willy-nilly. This is a place where you really need to pay attention to where you plant it because once it's established, like it could be there for 5,000 years. Pick somewhere you want it. Somewhere that has plenty of sunlight, as well as like rich, well-draining soil. And I realize some of you might not know whether or not your soil, especially if you like have a house or property, you might not know if your soil is well-draining. So there's a really easy way to test this actually. Dig a hole, literally something about a foot deep, at least six inches wide, fill it with water and then like leave for 12 hours. Come back and if it's empty, voila, you have well-draining soil. If not, you don't have well-draining soil and you're going to have to look at amendments. And that's like a bigger conversation, but that's a really easy test if it's something you're unsure of. And when you newly plant a tree or sapling, you want to be watering it every few days to keep the soil thoroughly moist, but not soggy. And depending on where you live, this can usually, you can usually back off to watering like weekly after a month or so, but in some drier parts and places that are really drought prone, you may have to keep up with that watering every few days for several months until the tree is well established. But then you'll eventually gradually back off to watering it just when it hasn't rained. And then once they're really established, like you really do only have to dry, like to water these if you've had a very, very intense dry spell, like a bad drought. Um, and you're not gonna wanna fertilize the first year. But after that first year, you're going to want to use two to four pounds of 10, 10, 10 fertilizer for every square foot of soil that you're fertilizing around the tree. And then after that first year, when you fertilize moving forward, you'll use about two pounds of fertilizer for each inch of trunk diameter annually. So let's talk about pine medicine because you can grow pine trees. You can do it. Um, I'm not going to do it, but you guys could do it. I'd love to know if you do. So disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. I am not a doctor. Nick is not a doctor. This nope. podcast is for entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to diagnose anything. It's also not intended to treat anything. Talk to your fucking doctor, y'all. So around the world, as we've already discussed, there are pine trees native to every region almost in the Northern hemisphere. So cultures all over the place have used the needles, the inner bark, and the resin of pine trees to treat kind of similar ailments, which... I, I always love 
when this shows up, when it's like, there's a species that's like really widespread and people all over the place are using it for the same thing. Cause it's like, haha, there was so much wisdom in our ancestors. Like we didn't become smart with modern medicine. People have been working things out. So it's, if you ingest it, it's useful for things like colds, allergies, coughs, and urinary tract infections and sinus infections. Topically, it's really good for skin infections and to help with joint inflammation. And so the fresh needles and buds are harvested in the springtime. These are called pine tops and you can boil them for teas or, you know, for teas to help with things like the fevers, coughs, colds. They're also diuretic. So it can be really helpful if water retention is an issue. And for the winter time, you can combine the pine tops with cinnamon and star anise, and it'll give you a lot of relief from like sinus and lung congestion since it's an expectorant. The young needles, when they're fresh, have vitamin C. So, you know, if you end up with a summer cold, that's great. By the time they're dried, the vitamin C has really kind of left the party, which is fine, but just like be aware. It's one of those things where sometimes people are like, oh, pine needles have vitamin C. And it's like, well, yeah, but once they're dried, not really. So we just need to be realistic about what we're getting out of stuff. The bark has a lot more resin and is really astringent. So it's great for topical applications. Think like, bath infusions, or even just like boiling it to make a decoction that you can like soak a cotton swab or a rag in to apply topically. In traditional Chinese medicine, the knotty pine wood from some species is actually infused in wine and used topically for joint pain, which I thought was really interesting. And then pine resin is something really cool to keep in mind for first aid, especially if you're like hiking or camping. And they also call it pitch, pine pitch. So you can take a piece of the resin that's like starting to harden, but it's still pliable and like form it into like a thin flat bandage to put over an injury and it has drawing properties. So it's really great for things like if you get stung by something and you need to draw out the poison from the insect, um, if you get a splinter and you're wanting to kind of pull that out. So just like put that uh, resin over it and you can either like cover it with uh, an actual like cloth bandage, or I mean, depending on how wet it still is, it could also just like kind of stay for the night overnight to help draw whatever it is out. And it does have anti-inflammatory and antimicrobial stuff. So like, it's really good, especially if you're out camping and, you know, obviously flush it out with water, but you're in nature, you're not exactly going to be in the most sterile of environments. So something that's going to kill the creepy crawlies is always good. Mm -hmm. Um, And chestnutherbs.com had a really great recipe for a pine pitch salve. And all you have to do is combine one part clean pine pitch, two parts extra virgin olive oil, and then um, one part beeswax to four parts of that combined liquid and oil. And then you mix it, put it into jars and let it cool before you add a lid. And then you can have that salve to use for like stuff throughout the year. So pine magic. Yay. Yeah. Um, I know guys, I'm like, I tried to keep this one brief, but pine is a big topic. (laughs) Right. um, Pine is traditionally considered a masculine plant associated with the planet Mars, the air element, and Nick, for you, the deities, Pan, Venus, Addis, Dionysus, Astarte, and Sylvanus. And so I was like, man, this is like a Nick plant. Yeah. Pine has some Nick deities like Pan and Dionysus. And it's like Mars. Yeah. And Dionysus. Also, I mean, it's like growing up, uh, you know, we would go to Louisiana every summer and I love pine. Like we used to, we used to, oh man, we used to do so much just random shit with pine. I want to, I want to know what those pine trees in Louisiana are. 
Yeah, I'd, I would have to look. I mean, I'm sure there's actually probably a few different yeah, varieties. Well, because you were talking about those lodgepole pines, because, you know, a lot of Louisiana is like right at or below sea level. And that is some very damp soil. Yeah. So uh, it, when you get out to East Texas, like moving into Louisiana, for people that don't know, like there are very tall pine forests in Eastern Texas into Louisiana, which I guess if you've never been down there, you might not realize, but. A lot of pine trees. It's delightful. It's really beautiful. And really just a beautiful part of my childhood. Yeah. So it seems to make sense because pine is connected to two deities that I know that you really enjoy. So uh, this tree is magically all about things like healing, protection, fertility, with a dash of money magic and exorcism thrown in for good measure. So Hmm. also it is said that if you harvest a pine at midsummer with its seeds intact and eat one pine nut from it every day, it will make you immune to gunshots. (laughs) Don't test that, please. Yeah, please, Um, please don't test that. Don't test that. I just like laughed out loud when I read that. I was like, what the fuck? Um, So pine needles can be used for incense. And I think they're a really lovely addition to like a Yule incense blend because they're good for things like purification. Also drawing in some money for the coming year. A lot of people are feeling the like hit to the wallet this time of year, even if it's not about gifts, like traveling is really expensive. So, you know, I'm all about shit to draw on some money around Yule time. Um, Mm -hmm. You can, of course, use them in a cleansing bath, which like we're bath witches, you know, we got to plug it. Um, You can hang branches of pine above the bed to keep sickness at bay. And in Japan, it's actually a tradition to like place a pine branch over the door of the house to ensure continuous joy. Like, evergreen happiness from evergreen leaves so nick also a japan tie-in i'm like yeah i'm like who knew who knew the pine was going to be your plant um yeah i i did (laughs) i mean i I wasn't anticipating being just like man this is so nick i also do think pine would be an excellent wood choice for an altar with that tie-in for like healing and protection and even fertility like because fertility is not always about getting knocked up sometimes it's about like magic you know i think pine would be perfect for an altar also pine branches i think would be a really awesome base for your basil like your witch's broom and you can even add pine needles into like the broom head with the bristles for some added oomph when you're using it in cleansing magic and then i was also thinking about like yule logs because so many people do like yule log cakes or even yule log candles when you don't have traditional yule logs to burn oh, in a hearth yeah. and i love the idea of creating a wreath for your table that incorporates like pine and pine combs, cinnamon, some calendula for like calling the sun back. And of course, pomegranates for all the catonic deities. I was like, that, that would just be like a beautiful wreath around either a Yule log cake or a Yule log candle. A, a bouche de Noël. <laughs> bouche de Noël. I've eaten so many of them, taking French throughout the years. Um, but yeah, so that was my, that was my like little, my, I guess, home brewed ingredients for a a pretty centerpiece so my sources today were wikipedia.com gardeningknowhow.com chestnutherbs.com which by the way they have a really really great email newsletter if you're interested uh and cunningham's encyclopedia of magical herbs of course cunningham always thanks cunningham so yeah so let's talk about jack frost okay so yeah that's kind of like like where we're at with this episode too because it's like unofficially christmas themed um so it's like i love all of these little side characters that used to go along with the saint nicholas stories and one of them is jack frost and actually 
I, I did a little bit more on Jack Frost than I did on Krampus. So I love buckle it. up, buckle up, people. Um, so in a very similar vein to Krampus, for this week's DD profile, we are looking at someone who in the Victorian era would have been just as popular of a cultural figure among children, especially as Santa Claus, his elves, or even Krampus. Um, see, as before, we are exploring the idea that traditional Christmas Santa was not always the standalone figure, and in fact, had a whole cohort of wacky characters. Uh, part of the European Yuletide mythology pantheon, uh, which is just interesting, and it's, it's time. It's time to talk about it. So to start with, Jack Frost is, in fact, seemingly a pop culture icon only and in the context of this episode we are looking at him as a deity because there is a case to be made that jack frost as we know it from victorian fairy tales uh exists as a remnant of a much older presumably germanic folk tale uh, in a similar way to baba yaga yeah um, there's also just to like pop in here in defense of this like stance as well the whole concept of a tulpa where when enough people believe in something you can create an entity so i feel like jack right. frost is very very much a fit for the idea of like a tulpa as well that's been created by enough humans believing in it well and so you know the finnish people have like their version of the poetic edda uh which is this like very long epic poem that's sort of like uh a pagan history of Finland. Um, and there's a whole chapter about Jack Frost there too. So, and it does include their actual like old school gods and goddesses and their folk tales. So Jack Frost, a case could be made. I think a, a case, very strong case. A case could absolutely be made that Jack Frost might have been uh, sort of like a folk figure like Puck yeah. or or the green man, you know, it's like one of these things where lost to time, but they really loved Jack Frost and they wrote a lot of lovely fairy tales in Victorian times yeah. about Jack Frost. I mean, uh, I would argue that Jack Frost has better standing as a deity than the green man based I, on everything we've learned. Absolutely. Uh, that's just, so. that's just what we've got so far. Yeah. Um, which, which actually brings me to my allotted rabbit trail for this episode, which is mainly that while I was doing the research about Jack Frost, I was sort of, I randomly am having this idea pop into my head of another piece of popular fiction, uh, Jitterbug Perfume by Tom Robbins, which features Pan, who we've talked about in the fine section, uh, the sort of ancient nature god uh, as an invisible whispering entity. And the reason he has lost his physical form uh, because people don't believe in him anymore. And this really sort of struck a chord with me because I'm like, this whole Jack Frost situation, it's like, what the fuck happened where we grow up in America learning about Santa Claus only and none of his original pals? Uh, I mean, granted, it's all fucking made up. I mean, I don't think uh, a Turkish bishop really move to the North Pole and makes toys all year. Oh. Uh, but how did Jack Frost and Krampus end up as nothing more than nostalgic novelties from dusty old Victorian fairy right. tales? I'm like, uh, I wonder how much Coca-Cola has to do with that. But Oh, these are, these are, re 
we're really asking the important questions here. Uh, don't sue us, Coca-Cola. Please don't. Uh, we don't have please, money. We don't have money. But I mean, for that matter, isn't the only dividing line between a deity and a mythological character, whether or not people believe in it. And if you are going to raise your children with a belief system that includes Santa Claus, that sort of makes Santa an official deity because actual human people have an unshakable belief in him, even though said people are tiny and mostly uneducated. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I just love that description of children, tiny and mostly uneducated. Uh, which brings us back around to Jack Frost. So just who the fuck is he? So Jack Frost, nipping at your nose, comes to us from the mid-1800s children's stories written in English. Uh, of course, as a cultural figure, he persisted much longer than just his initial appearances in fairy tales. And actually, he did have a whole storyline as well, written by L. Frank Baum of Wizard of Oz fame. Uh, so clearly a big deal in his day and speculatively based on an older pagan tradition that has been obscured to us by the sands of time and the rising tide of Christianity in Europe. But here is what we do know. Jack Frost is in charge of changing the leaves colors in autumn, which is very cool and fun. Um, he is the leader of a whole class of spirits uh, that we could think of as frost nymphs, uh, which is very cool. Uh, and all of those lovely illustrations in those old Victorian fairy tales uh, sort of depict the little frost nymphs running around and, you know, they, they make the, the little frost on the leaves as they sort of dance around uh, and uh, leave their little trails through the forest. Um, he's also described as a jolly rogue. So kind of going back to that whole puck thing, uh, who, unlike his father slash enemy, the Frost King, is seen as mostly harmless, harmless by the true master of wintertime, Santa Claus himself. So Santa does not, also does not like the Frost King, but is like, ah, Jack Frost, he's fine. Yeah, um, I feel like they really captured that roguish nature of Jack Frost and the like stop motion animation from like, yeah. I, I looked up because I was like, what year was this? It was 1979 is the year it came out, but so yeah. many of us grew up watching it. And yeah, he's got like, a very Robin Hood almost type vibe mm -hmm. about him in that cartoon. And it's so, so fun. Oh, yeah. So, oh, didn't we mention the Frost King, though? Because we probably should. Uh, right. His part in the whole story changes depending on who tells it. So sometimes the Frost King is like Jack Frost's rival. Uh, so sort of like a foreign power who matches Jack's power, but with a disgusting foreignness that Jack simply cannot abide by. Uh, guesses as to which country's version that is. It's, it's England. They hate foreigners. Uh, but sometimes Jack Frost is the Prince of Frost and the Frost King is his father and they just really do not see eye to eye. Uh, so because even though Jack Frost delights in nipping at people's noses and toeses, uh, and painting the lovely frost patterns on people's windows at night, Frost King was brutal and froze people to death who were unexposed in the forest and uh, kind of took a sick pleasure in stealing human lives. So that's why the Frost King is mean. 
Jack Frost is, uh, you know, sort of sort of a jokester. Uh, nothing, nothing serious. Okay. Yeah, um, it feels almost like Arthurian that divide. Right. So of course, this is why he is allowed to carry on while the Frost King is warded off and kept at bay as much as possible. Uh, he's seen as a spirit of gentle winter mischief, sort of like a snowball fight, just some some good-natured fun. Uh, nothing to call the guards in over, and uh, even if he is a little bit naughty, he's it's okay. It's like Puck, it's, it's fine. Yeah, just a, a little naughtiness can be fun. Yeah, so, and there is beauty to be had at the hands of this jolly rogue. Uh, and it was he who was responsible for painting little frost ferns on people's windows at night while they were sleeping. Uh, which brings me around to the whole like pan disappearing deity thing. So like, why don't we have Jack Frost anymore? And it's actually a very easy question to answer uh, for once. You know, we really do not have to dig far. It's double paned glazed windows. Uh, see, if children stopped losing teeth all of a sudden, there would be no reason to talk about the Tooth Fairy. But thankfully for her, that's simply not even on the horizon. But double-paned glazed windows have made Jack Frost obsolete because you do not get frosty windows in much of the Northern Hemisphere anymore. Uh, so we also have electric heating now. So it's not like your fire is burning out, leaving your rooms to cool either. So if you wanted to maybe rekindle some of the magic of Jack Frost and see if he will paint you something in the dead of winter, uh, my recommendation is simple. Uh, if you have a cheap picture frame with glass in it, uh, gently take the cheap pane of glass out and lean it outside somewhere on a cold winter's night. Um, this should recreate that old school single pane window effectively enough that you will likely get a frost fern. Um, and you can take a little picture, show it to the kiddos, talk about Jack Frost uh, in, in that context. And I think, I think it could be fun. I think it could be fun yeah. to, to maybe try to find a way to, uh, to, to rekindle that magic of Jack Frost doing a little, a little unique art piece just for you. Um, I love in, that. It's like, the watch, the the 19, watch the 1979 cartoon with your kids. And then do Nick's like little glass pane activity outside. Also, you know, uh, the, the thing with that is the glass would be fine to go back into picture frame. Uh, yeah, you don't have I, to ruin anything for it. You don't have to ruin anything for it. And that's kind of what was my idea, you know, where it's like, it's not, it's, it's, it's going to be fine. You know, now, if you had a fully enclosed, like a, like a cube of glass, it would probably crack, but just a flat pane, it would be just fine. So, um, yeah, that's Jack Frost, you guys. I think we should bring him back. I think we should bring Krampus back. There's all these great little characters. And, you know, if you've got the kids. Yeah. If you've got the kids with their impressionable young minds who will pretty much believe whatever you tell them, make it fun. Throw Jack yeah. Frost in there. Throw Krampus in there. Put them in a bag and tell them, <laughs> tell them you're going to beat them. You I know? love this. Make a bring little, back the fun. Make it make a little frost painting. Mm, that's so cute. Well, on that note, as we're approaching the the chilly chilly end, <laughs> today's message for our taroscope is for our little fishies, Pisces. This one goes out to you. So fittingly enough. 
for the last sign of the Zodiac. Today, I've drawn the last card of the major arcana, the world. So this card really speaks to fruition, right? Like the sense of completion that comes after great achievement. And this is a time to take stock of the lessons you've learned on this journey, you know, any spiritual growth. What are you really going to like take with you as you move forward? But I really loved getting this card for us uh, after the last eclipse, because that's sort of, I think one of the things that's great about the world is because it's always represented with a wheel, which you can see here. It's, it's as much about this culmination as it is also the beginning of the next journey. And I feel like the last eclipse, the eclipse that we had while we also had a new moon was like really big, like new beginning vibes. And we all know that like endings and celebrations are gateways, right? And so that's really the message I feel like I'm getting here for you Pisces loves is like, you've reached an achievement, something awesome has happened, you've accomplished a goal, relish in it for a moment, but know that this is also really like a time for new beginnings. And I think as the last sign in the zodiac, the ending as beginning is a natural place for you. I suspect you'll feel very at home in this exciting liminal space, but that is all. Enjoy. You've learned some stuff, but it also means something's coming to an end, which makes way for new beginnings. Oh, I love that. And, you know, I'm thinking about a, a very specific Pisces that I know who is going through this, this sort of thing uh, yeah. right now. Although I think it's funny. I do think it's funny and worth mentioning that this is one of the canned episodes. So um, <laughs> this is uh, not exactly happening in real time, um, but for them it is. So Yeah, go give them the message now. <laughs> nice well i guess that really brings us to the bitter chilly end so oh, to all of these naughty little witches what do we say we're gonna we say blessed be you naughty frosty bitches oh blessed be you naughty frosty bitches that's a good one goodbye bye now Nice. Ooh, that was a fun one.